Today on Community Pulse, we'll be discussing an in-depth article by Aaron Bromage about transmission of the coronavirus and what the most risky scenarios might be. Joining me by phone is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters. Good morning, Elizabeth. How are you? Good morning, Tim. I am doing well. been pep-talking myself all weekend, uh, which was Thank goodness, a glorious weekend and Mother's Day and my birthday. So I've been thinking about things. I've been just pep talking myself to like stay committed and be persistent. So that's what I've been talking about. Thinking about happy birthday and happy belated Mother's Day. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Um, I it's been like an interesting thing to remind myself that the last year has been more than just the last two months. Yeah, (laughs) and that many things have happened, and that I've you know that life is richer than than this focus I've had in the last couple of months. So um, I do want to talk about um, some stuff we know from uh, epidemiology and case tracking. But first, I want to quickly go over the numbers globally. 4.2 million people have uh, been infected uh, with documented cases, 285,000 deaths, and 1.5 million people are recovering. Uh, The United States has uh, 1.369 million cases, 81,000 deaths, and 256,000 people are recovering. Missouri has crossed the uh, the 10,000 mark, 10,100 people, uh, 511 deaths. And um, one of the interesting things is that uh, that we're trying to look at is. declining numbers of new cases on a day-to-day basis. Um, and there's a little complexity the way the data is gained, but they're actually averaging this last seven days. But anyway, it looks like we've had five days in a row of declining cases, declining numbers of new cases in Missouri, which is really favorable and really helpful. I mean, that's an exciting number. I'm a little, we'll see what happens when people move about more. Um, and, uh, you know, the initially it was, we were told that we should, um, have two weeks of declining cases before we increase moving about some. So if people are still wanting to decide for themselves to make evidence-based approach, we're not there yet, but we may be on the way. Boone County has 100 cases with still one death, Cole County 56, Callaway 23. Saline County is up to 219. Montauk staying pretty stable at 45. Buchanan County up St. Joseph Way with the big meatpacking plant, 442. We've had 115,000 tests, and just under 10% are positive. So um, let's see. First, I want to answer a question. Somebody sent in a question about washing our hands with antibacterial soap. And I'm just going to say I've had a bias against antibacterial soap since the very beginning and the, of the appearance of antibacterial soap years ago, and that is because soap is antibacterial. So we don't need to add an extra thing to soap to make it more effective in decreasing our risk of getting infected. But the added um, uh, chemicals that are used to um, try to increase the amount of bacteria that are killed are absorbed. Anything you put on your skin has a potential for being absorbed to the skin, and we're beginning to notice there are health risks to having the triclosan the other, and the other chemicals added to our soaps and other um, uh, commercial products. And, um, and we think that it also has a negative impact on the 
bacteria that we need on our skin and in our guts. So um, I have always tried to avoid antibacterial soaps, which was easy in the distant past and it got really hard. And now it's a little bit easier. Um, the other thing to remember is for this um, uh, health crisis, we're talking about a virus, not a bacteria. And so we do not need antibacterial um, uh, products to um, deal with COVID because bacteria and viruses are a little different. This virus has a fatty coat. And so anything that helps you get fat off your skin is going to help. So any soap, so soap and water are also antiviral. And so any soap is all you need. So we do not need Clorox. The only reason we don't need um, special uh, brand name cleansers. Um, we don't need scented things. We don't need them to be antibacterial. We just need soap and water. And the only reason we use alcohol-based hand sanitizers is because we don't always have soap and water. So alcohol-based products are um, a second choice. They're a good second choice, but we do not need. So that's as simple as we need. So, um, so this, um, I'm just fascinated with the, the, the article that I want to talk about. So um, I have posted on Facebook, and I'm sure that you can um, uh, post it on the website. Yeah, we'll share but, it online after we post yeah. the episode. So Aaron Bromage is a um, professor of a comparative immunologist and professor of biology, especially in immunology at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. And he balances teaching, research, and public service and has had a little blog and um, published an, a, little, a blog post called The Risks, Know Them and Avoid Them five days ago. And apparently, I'm not the only one who got excited by this. So um, looking, trying to look at what we've seen published from people who are doing case um, uh, contact tracing. So if a person gets test positive for COVID-19. We do this for other diseases too, but that's the one we're talking about. So a person gets a positive test. What happens is that um, the public health folks will call that person and spend a long time saying, where have you been the last five to 10 days? Who have you been with? And then can you help us contact those people? And then like give us contact information. And then they contact people and say, well, it turns out someone, you know, that you've been in contact with has tested positive and, um, and let's uh, get you tested as well. So they have this information that I've been wanting, and that is, okay, so when we go and talk to people and then we see their test results, what kind of exposure is actually transmitting this virus? <clears throat> so um, first he makes a point that um, a lot of people are reopening, and he thinks that's a bad idea from the data, that yes, um, United States, it, the, in the United States, the data, the number of new cases has been declining for some period of time, but that is driven almost entirely by the fact that New York has decreasing numbers and they have such big numbers. So for the most of the rest of the country, numbers are still increasing. Um, <clears throat> so that means it's not the greatest time to be out and about. But so where are people getting sick? When we like look at where do these people turn positive from a contact. Now, we, it's not exact science because we know that people, could, like you may, we may think you got it from the case we're tracing, but you could have had contact with someone else. But we know most people get infected in their own home because that's prolonged 
exposure. So a household member gets sick and contacts the virus, it come, brings it home, maybe not even sick. And then because people spend a lot of time in their home, that's where most of us are getting sick. Um, and then he makes some uh, presumptions about how many virus particles you need to be exposed to. For all viruses that I'm aware of, that number is more than one. So it's usually, it's not like, oh, one little virus gets into your nose and then you're sick. I don't know why, but for most viral illnesses, you need hundreds or thousands of viral particles to actually get sick. Um, so I'm guessing our immune systems maybe do some sort of surveillance and can get rid of the first you know, thousand or so, but um, larger numbers. So from, for MERS and SARS, there are estimates that as few as a thousand particles are needed. So um, we're just making some extrapolations. We do not know that number for SARS-CoV-2, the virus we're dealing with now. So um, this person is concerned about public bathrooms because they have a lot of high-touch surfaces that we all touch when we go in and out of them. There is, we can recover viral DNA from feces, from poop. Um, that does not mean that it's infectious, but we know that it's still there. <clears throat> and it's concerning that if it's there in our gut, didn't break it down, that maybe it's still replicating. I, I, We've still got to find out. And in a public bathroom where people, where there isn't a toilet seat, usually to sit down, and even if there is, people don't. When you flush, there's really some very um, uh, depressing data about how much of a droplet cloud comes out of your toilet when you flush. Um, and so in a public bathroom where a lot of that is happening until um, this person has recommended that we treat public bathrooms with extra caution for the surfaces and the air until we know more about the risks in, in stool. Um, so then the second thing that this person is concerned about is a cough and a sneeze. So a single cough releases about 3,000 droplets and a sneeze releases about 30,000 droplets. So a cough, the droplets are going 50 miles an hour, and a sneeze, they're going 200 miles an hour. In both of them, most of the droplets are large, and they fall down onto the floor and maybe the surfaces. Um, but some of them stay in the air. Um, and those are droplets, and all those droplets have a lot of virus in them. So a sneeze may contain as many as 200 million virus particles. So we're thinking that you need 1,000 virus particles. Um, and a sneeze has 200 million, um, but breathing uh, releases less, and, um, but uh, talking and, and singing release more than, so between breathing and sneezing. So um, uh, you could get all of those thousand virus particles, again, we're, it's an estimated number, either in one breath, like you breathe in somebody's sneeze or somebody's cough, or it could be you breathe in somebody else's breath over a longer period of time. So maybe 100 breaths at um, 10 virus particles per breath. So, um, so the being in, so it's, it, this seems to clarify my thinking, like, yes, being outside is, is better because the, there's a lot more space for those virus particles and those droplets to go and maybe some breeze would happen and they'd go away. And that rebreathing the same air in the same room is a, is a problem, especially if people are face to face and people are talking, singing or shouting. Um, it, they, this Aaron uh, reminded us that um, 
infectious people come in all ages and that uh, people who are either asymptomatic, that is, they don't have symptoms and they're never going to, or they're pre-symptomatic, that is, they're about to get sick, but not in a couple of days, that those people are also shedding virus, we think. And we think that the maximum time a viral shed is the day or two before you get sick and the day or two after. So Interesting. So it seems like there yeah. are these two um, main variables, the viral load or the dose, and then right. the time that you may be extended or ex- right. exposed, excuse me, the time you may be exposed yeah. to it. Right. So how much virus is floating in the air and how many breaths are, are you taking mm-hmm. of that air? Um, uh, you know, I, I, the, the, the analogies I've been making are things like perfume or body odor, you know, like those things float around in the air for a while and depend on sort of how close you are to somebody and how long you have to be in there. So when they are looking at these outbreaks of clusters, um, a lot of people think about cruise ships and, and, um, passenger airlines, airplanes, and those, um, again, This is all preliminary. I'm not telling anybody to go do those things, but those are the smallest. Those are not the biggest outbreaks. Um, So first, nursing homes have been really, really uh, hard places to be. I mean, there have been lots of outbreaks. Um, But besides that, the biggest outbreaks are in prisons, religious ceremonies, and workplaces. Um, And the next one is restaurants. So... Um, yeah, biggest super spreading events are in meat packing plants and um, uh, meat processing plants. Densely packed workers must communicate to one another amidst the deafening drum of industrial machine- machinery and a cold room, which is virus preserving. So there are now outbreaks in 115 facilities across 23 states with over 5,000 workers infected and 20 dead. So um, in meatpacking plants, people are standing very close to each other for long periods of time. The line is apparently moving very quickly. Their work is dangerous. They have to stay focused. Apparently, some of them have such limited bathroom breaks that they take that they wear diapers. And um, there is not time to turn your face if you need to cough or sneeze. There is not time to wash your hands. Um, these are um, like almost designed to, I'm, I'm not accusing anybody, they all, they're just ideal circumstances for viral spread. Mm-hmm. Um, when weddings, funerals, and birthdays, 10% of early spreading events. Business network, networking, face-to-face business networking, like the Biogen Conference in Boston in March. Okay, so then they looked at a study in a restaurant where a person... Um, sat at a table, and um, a dinner lasted an hour to an hour and a half. And during the meal, the asymptomatic carrier released low levels of virus into the air from their breathing. Airflow from the restaurants uh, was from was in one particular direction. Fifty percent of the people at the infected person's table became sick over the next seven days, and seventy-five percent of the people at the adjacent downwind table as well as two of seven people on the upwind table. So I think that was because, you know, the air flowed around and, you know, we airflow isn't just, you know, we know that it twirls around. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the two tables that were out of that airflow circumstance, although just as close to the table where the person was, nobody got that. Wow. So, so this so, was a case, once again, an hour and a half dinner, somebody... Yeah. 
um, just speaking, so maybe not right. uh, sneezing all over the place, a low viral load, but an ex- over an extended period of time. Right. right. Uh, this person was asymptomatic, so we're presuming this person neither sneezed nor coughed. Mm-hmm. But they may have done things like laughed. I don't know whether they sang. Uh, that's, oh, sure. not, that's not mentioned. They could have been a loud talker or who knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what we're seeing is that going to a restaurant and spending an hour to an hour and a half at a table, even if people are um, at distance, so some of these people were at more than six feet different distance, um, people are, restaurants are doing interesting things like creating these clear pods or hanging shower curtains, and that, as far as I know, has not been tested at all. So we don't have data about whether that's helpful. Um, and then the other thing they were looking at was they show a beautiful, an interesting diagram of people who got sick in a call center. So a single infected employee came to work on the 11th floor of a building. That floor had 216 employees over the period of a week. 94 of these people, 94 over 216, so a little bit less than half, became infected. And 92 of those 94 people became sick. Uh, only two remained asymptomatic. Um, so one, and they show the diagram of the opposite. So in one, in the room where the person was, a lot of people got sick. In another room, only like four people got sick. They apparently weren't breathing, and they, they think that may have been from surfaces, like in bathrooms or something. Right, and this is a—you can tell from the diagram. This is a call center where people are sitting, perhaps at cubicles, side by side right. in rows, so tightly packed. Yes, tightly packed, but um, in a fairly large room, and the um, the the being all the way across the room wasn't going to help you. Yeah. So it's fairly evenly distributed around a room with 200 people working in it. So um, many people are trying to figure out, oh, well, if, we'll just, if I'll just get more room, like, oh, I need, need the six feet. Um, yeah. So then there's the church choir in Washington State. Um, even though people were aware of the virus and took steps to minimize transfer, that is, they avoid the usual handshakes and hugs, People also brought their own music to avoid sharing and socially distanced themselves during practice. A single asymptomatic carrier appeared to affect most of the people in attendance. The choir sang for two and a half hours inside an enclosed church, which was roughly the size of a volleyball court. Singing to a greater degree than talking aerosolizes respiratory droplets extraordinarily well. So um, over a period of four days, 45 of the 60 choir members developed symptoms and two died. The youngest infected was 31. So, um, anyway, uh, indoor sports, a super spreading event occurred during a curling event in Canada. 72 attendees became another hotspot. Uh, 24 of the 72 people became infected. Um, a real story from Chicago, the fake name is Bob, was infected but didn't know. Bob shared a takeout meal, served from a common serving distance with dishes with two family members. The dinner lasted three hours. The next day, Bob attended a funeral, hugging family members and others in attendance to express condolences. Within four days, both family members who shared the meal are sick. A third member who hugged Bob at the funeral became sick, but Bob wasn't done. Bob attended a birthday party with nine other people. They hugged and shared food at a three-hour party. Some of those became um, ill over the next few days. Bob became sick, was hospitalized, uh, ventilated, and died. 
three of the people Bob infected at the birthday went to church where they sang, passed a tithing dish, etc. Members of that church became sick, and all Bob was directly responsible for infecting 16 people between the ages of five and six. Three of these 16 died. I'm not trying to give Bob any hard time. No, nobody is blaming. It's saying that Bob's a bad guy. Um, the spread of the virus within the household and back out in the community through funerals, birthdays, and church gatherings is believed to be responsible for the broader transmission of COVID-19 in Chicago. So um, uh, indoor spaces with limited air exchange or recycled air and lots of people are concerning from a transmission standpoint, especially if you are going to spend you know, s- significant time there like you do to eat dinner at a restaurant to go to a party or to work. Yeah. And so it appears that if we're inclined to go to an interior space um, shared with other folks, it would be best to increase the airflow, if at all possible, perhaps by opening windows or fans. Is that something we could uh, take away And limit your time there. Okay. Okay, so first of all, this is speculation. Right. Okay, there is no, nobody's doing any controls, but these are, these are helpful pieces of information from storytelling. It's not a complete story, and a lot of the presumptions are made based on what we know about SARS and MERS and uh, influenza, and um, it appears that outdoor settings have much lower chance of transmission than indoor settings. And if, um, yeah, so if you're sitting in a well-ventilated space with few people, the risk is low. Okay. Yeah. So that, I found that really helpful. Thank you for giving me a few extra minutes um, about to, to cover this. Uh, it is um, going to inform uh, what we do as a family, and not that anybody wants to increase their exposure, but um, if we are feeling like we need to, to do it outside. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on this article. We will make sure to post the link uh, on our Facebook page along with uh, this episode later this morning. Thank you so much, and thanks for tuning in. All right. Thanks. And that is it for today's edition of Community Pulse. We will uh, continue with our regular scheduled programming. We have an abridged version of Background Briefing, followed by Economic Update and The Laura Flanders Show. So please stay tuned. This is your community radio station, KOPN Columbia. Um, We will be back tomorrow and every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Thanks for listening.